4: Jonas Brothers
0: are back. That is the name of the game on the Billboard Chart Beat podcast this week. What's up, guys? My name is Trevor Anderson. I am a chart manager here at Billboard. Gary Truss, senior director of charts. Taylor
4: Weatherby, uh, staff writer at Billboard, but also Jonas Brothers super fan.
0: I think you got that. That's probably like in reverse order. Probably I, I reverse think she order. was long before she was a staff writer. She was a Jonas Brothers fan. And just like many of millions of Jonas Brothers fans out there, This is a monumental week in uh, JoBro genetics, Jonatics history.
4: I still don't believe that that's a thing. But Nick Jonas tweeted yesterday, for those who did not see, Nick Jonas tweeted, thank you to the Jonatics for their uh, chart-topping single this week. And I still don't know where that came from, but that's fine.
0: So Jonas Brothers obviously going to be the talk of most of this podcast today with the big news of their new number one single that Taylor just mentioned, Sucker, coming in straight at top the Billboard Hot 100. We're also going to uh, throw it back to another boy band celebrating their 30-year anniversary of one of their biggest albums and really biggest eras in, and kind of maybe even the one that kicked off in some ways the modern Sort of boy band era. We're going to be talking uh, with Danny Wood of New Kids on the Block, along with singer songwriter Jesse Chris. They have a new duet out together called "Bodyguard." So we'll take a kind of a spin from boy bands topping the charts now. Boy bands who topped the charts then. It'll be a boy band special.
2: Yeah, and uh, big tour coming up for New Kids on the Block as well. So uh, be interesting to get Danny's perspective on uh, the life of a boy band member. It's sort of a lifetime position. All right, let's make it official. Let's run down this week's top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100. 10,
0: 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3,
2: 2, 1.
1: Number 10.
2: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Gone on you with the pick and roll. Younger Flame here in Sickle Mo.
1: Number 9.
2: I just poured something
0: in my cup. I've been wanting something I can feel Promise I am never letting up Money
1: in your phone will make you rich. Number eight I yeah, wanna raise seven. your spirits I want to see you smile No, that means I'll have to leave Number seven It's a moment when I show up, God, I'm saying wow your me my bottles these bottles are lonely it's a moment when i saying why number 6
0: number 5
2: Number four
1: Then you're left in the dust Unless I stuck by ya you You're a sunflower I think your love will be too much Or you'd be left in the dust Number three
4: Number two, I
1: got it. I want it. I got it. I want it. I got it. I want it. I got it. You like my hair? She thanks. Just got it. I see it. I like it. I want it. I got it. Yeah, Wearing no ring, but ain't gonna no missing. And number one, I'm a sucker for you.
0: We teased it, we talked about it, we didn't lie to you, there it is, number one on the Hot 100 this week, the song is Sucker, the artist, the Jonas Brothers, and this is the first time we've seen the Jonas Brothers in any sort of permutation combination, solo, in any kind of group, a a duo, a a one-off, a Broadway cast, whatever, Mm -hmm. first time being number one on the Hot 100, something a lot of Joe Bros fans have been waiting for for a long time. Uh, The previous best that they had was back in their heyday in the late 2000s with the song Burning Up, which was a number five hit back in 2008. So it's taken them a while to get back up to uh, the top ranks of the Hot 100 and number one here for the very first time. Probably already the frontrunner candidate of the most unexpected number one of the year. What's helping the song get to number one this week? Well, per usual, streaming is the kingmaker these days and the song is number one on the streaming songs chart pulling 43.7 million streams for the week also the top selling song of the week eighty-eight thousand downloads so when you're number one in sales number one in streams you're going to have a good shot at being number one overall uh also don't think radio is completely out of the equation the song is number 46 on the radio songs chart just after its first full week so radio you know, which takes a while to warm up to any song, really. But already showing some love for the new Joe Bros.
2: All right. So there's a lot uh, to dig into here. Uh, Taylor, you were part of a story that the edit department did yesterday, kind of a roundtable of how did it happen. Uh, some great points you guys came up with. Uh, great song, first and foremost. I, I think part of it, uh, I'm not sure you mentioned this, The kind of a Maroon 5-ish sound, too. It's, it's a modern sound. It's not necessarily the sound they were doing. A decade ago, this is kind of like Sugar Maroon Five. It really fits for 2019.
4: Yeah, I didn't really think about the Maroon Five sound, which is funny because I'm a huge Maroon Five fan too. But that falsetto and that really like high, rocking kind of thing is is a very Maroon Five thing. But
0: it also kind of well, I thought when I first heard the opening, it really reminded me of Feel It Still. Like it had that yep. kind yeah. of.
4: I, I actually yeah. sang Feel It Still over Sucker. <laughs> I was yeah. it
0: like, lawsuit coming? Yeah. Question
4: mark. <laughs> nah. No, this is not a lawsuit song. I don't. I don't hear something enough where I'm like, okay, wait. I will say this is very random, but their burning up song, the inflection of that in the chorus sounds just like four or five seconds. So I want you guys and everybody listening to go to listen to that because four or five seconds totally ripped off the Jonas Brothers. Slipping into the lava for five seconds uh, from Wyland. Wi- Wyland. Wi- uh, wi- uh, okay. wi- yeah.
2: So you're going after Paul McCartney, Taylor?
4: <laughs> no, I'd never go after Paul McCartney. He's the OG boy bander. I, got, I can't, I can't hate on the OG boy
2: bander.
0: Uh, oh, I was gonna say I, I'm more scared of going after Rihanna, but take your <laughs> take, take your person, Kanye for you, Gary. By the way. So, uh,
2: yeah, that sound uh, – you guys talked about the unexpected factor. All of a sudden, uh, this was really kept a secret. That was a big part of it. Uh, a gab in the edit department, she said, I thought this was interesting how uh, the three members of the Jonas Brothers kind of became bigger celebrities while the group was apart with uh, celebrity marriage for Nick and Priyanka, the uh, Sophie Turner, Joe, uh, Game of Thrones uh, tie-in there. I think there's all, all great points. That all plays into it.
4: Yeah, I would say that it's the unexpected factor the most. I think I was telling a lot of my friends the day that they announced their comeback and their single the next day uh, that a lot of my friends kind of quote unquote came back from hiding. Like I have always voiced how much I love them because I just am a relentless boy band fan and Jonas Brothers fanatic, but. Uh, A lot of my friends texted me that I have not talked to in a while or that I've not – we've at least not talked about anything related to the Jonas Brothers or any, like, pop music kind of thing, and they're freaking out. Like, all caps texts, people just losing their minds. So I think it was particularly uh, because of the unexpected thing that people just had no idea they were coming back and that they would ever even come back. Like, I think as of – I mean, even the Jonas Brothers have said themselves that even last year they – didn't expect to reunite they were filming this documentary that's going to be coming out on amazon later this year and that kind of sparked this idea and reminded them of the magic that they had together but yeah so i don't even think that a year ago hardly they were really thinking that this would be a thing so you know they weren't even thinking it of course the fans weren't really thinking it as much of as much as we could hold out hope and really wish for it but yeah i think it's just the fact that they Totally surprised us all and then issued a song right away. I think it was really smart of them to release the song right after they announced their comeback because I think if they had waited, I think the excitement would have worn off a little bit. But now, I mean, now that they're on the top of the chart, I'm kind of curious what's going to happen with the follow-up singles and the, I think, album that I think is coming. They haven't confirmed it, but I think that's kind of the rumblings.
0: And it seems like, I mean, even though they're brothers, like, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm sure you're probably more in the paparazzi sphere on that, but it feels like they kind of all went their own way. I mean, there was never sort of any pseudo reunions, or, you know, hey, they got together at a club last night, or, you know, two of them were spotted, you know, doing a duet. Like They they really just like, there was no sort of pseudo reunion to to the point, like you're saying, about when they were coming back, it was like, this is the first time we've seen them back since they broke up.
4: Yeah, really the only time that we've seen them together in a music sense is Joe showing up at a DNCE show or vice versa. Uh, sorry, Joe, Nick showing I like, up. I was like I Nick hope... show. I was like, wait a minute, I was like, Nick I hope showing show up at up. a DNCE show or vice versa. Uh, they have performed together at various functions that they're like at the same festival or something. But yeah, other than that, they really hadn't ever been seen where it would be rumored that they'd be working on music together or anything. And yeah, the brother thing is really just the only thing that's seemingly kept them together the last. 6 7 years so
2: so uh, yeah so talking about other uh, angles that might have played into this uh this this comeback and again i think a lot of it is the kind of just a magical thing that it's kind of hard to fully uh pin it down to something but uh looking at some different things uh girls love boy bands sort of that uh safe crush when you're younger and uh they were so young when they started that a lot of fans were uh, young when when they were out. So now it's uh, people who are consuming this music are in their 20s, early 30s. It sort of times out well. But how much of it plays into that, yeah, this was a part of my formative uh, years and I, I had that was the posters or whatever it was back then, that uh, there's that real uh, emotional connection to a boy band that I think other acts don't always have.
4: Yeah, you would not believe the amount of pictures that flooded my Instagram feed the day that they announced their comeback, including mine. Uh, people posting pictures of them with several posters all over the wall, like you were saying, or pictures with the Jonas Brothers from over the years. Uh, yeah, I think there's just a really strong pull in nostalgia. I think that there's something to be said about bands that have such a heyday and such a there's such a fanatic fan base around it. That it never really dies, I guess. Um, and I think part of it made me think of the Backstreet Boys because they had, while they had a successful run with their um, album that came out in January, and they, they debuted at number one on the Billboard 200, right? Yeah. So they they clearly have fans that are still loving them, but they've been around for so long. They've they've kind of continually released stuff, you know, and and done their Vegas show and stuff. So they've kind of stayed relevant in a way and the fact that the Jonas Brothers completely disappeared and then came back it like made all of these feelings that everyone felt in 2009 that just kind of rushed back and I think that there's a really strong power in that.
2: What about the boy band uh, element that there's always one member for for, for any type of personality, like with the Beatles, Paul was the cute Beatle. You, you multiply the number of people who uh, you can be a fan of.
4: Yeah, to,
0: like break break down the three Jonas Brothers.
4: Oh boy, quickly. I don't want to throw any your, shade here, but quickly, in, um, in, your, in
0: your best summation, you know,
4: at least back when they were in their prime. I mean, who knows? Twenty nineteen may be their prime. Right. That's when yeah. Trevor
2: said their their heyday. I'm like, maybe now
4: the yeah. Heyday. It might it might be the tables turning, which is. As my, many Jonas Brothers fans would know, uh, that, <laughs> yep, Trevor's doing the motions. Yeah, that tables turning video that they recreated when they came back. But anyway, um Nick, I always saw as the quiet, kind of very serious about his music. One, like the, like the artist of the group. He was the one that was very involved in the music. The brothers mostly co-wrote all together anyway, but Nick... He single-handedly wrote S.O.S. and uh, A Little Bit Longer and a couple of their big hits. Um, But anyway, so yeah, I always saw him as the kind of quiet, serious, reserved artist type. Joe is the total goofball and just, like, didn't really care what people thought of him, and people loved him for that. He was the comedian, he always was doing really ridiculous things, and even in the celebration video for Sucker, he was like, I just want to kick something, and then, like, kicks a clown, so he, well, not a real clown, an inflatable clown. Anyway, uh, he's always the jokester, and then Kevin was just kind of, like, the, the older brother that was really good at playing guitar, and... He never really got a, a lot of words in. I don't know. It was always kind of the Nick and Joe show. I always felt really bad for Kevin because he always seemed to be kind of the forgotten one, even though he was one of the three. But, yeah. I mean, there were people that loved Kevin plenty, and he's lovable. So, I mean, he just he just never really sang, so he never really spoke. So it was always kind of like a surprise whenever you'd hear from Kevin. But wouldn't be the Jonas Brothers without him. So,
2: so I think part of it, too, is that uh, they started so young that even – They could go away for almost a decade other than the 2013 uh, quick reunion and they're still young enough that they're still very much in the pocket of what uh, the age of most people uh, making and listening to pop music are now. They're still – this could be their debut right now. They'd be the right age for that. Never mind they had this huge run uh, back in the 2000s, went away for a while. They're they're so young to be having a, a comeback.
4: Yeah, I didn't really think about that, that they're kind of right in line with all the people that are on the radio right now anyway. So that's probably why Sucker feels so relevant. But also that plays into Ryan Tedder's involvement.
2: Yeah, I was going to mention uh, the people behind the scenes. People don't know all the, the people who uh, wrote and uh, co-produced, but the writers, uh, especially Ryan Tedder, co-wrote the song. It's, uh, it's one of the most accomplished people. Uh, hitmakers of the last decade or so. So you hear the song and once you realize that, oh, Ryan Tedder, okay, he's got this great history of making hits. I mean, I feel like if people
0: don't know who Ryan Tedder is, just a, maybe a quick shout out of some of the songs that he's done. Um, I mean, obviously, frontman of One Republic. So any One Republic song, Apologize, Counting Stars, any of those hits, all Ryan Tedder, Bleeding Love with, co-wrote with Jesse McCartney, Um obviously a major U.S. and international hit for Leona Lewis. Uh, Halo, Beyonce, was a Ryan Tedder track. So, I mean, also kind of in that same line, like, you know, late 2000s was, was also a big, big heyday for Ryan Tedder. I mean, he was all over the radio.
2: Yeah, this is his first Hot 100 number one as a writer since Bleeding Love. He's actually never uh, – he's gotten to number two a couple times with One Republic. Uh, but yeah, as a writer, he's now had a couple number ones. So uh, he uh, co-wrote the song uh, not only with uh, Nick Jonas and Joe Jonas but uh, also uh, Frank Dukes and Louis Bell. This kind of says it all. There's been five number ones on the Hot 100 this year.
0: He's co-written three of them. For the guy who – You know, is is sort of the the current, I don't know, Max Martin, if you want to go that strongly. Not a whole, whole lot's known about him. He's still pretty young. Um, Obviously, you know, right in line with Post Malone. But, yeah, he definitely is the guy for the 2019 touch. So no surprise that the Joe Bros got in touch with him. Kind of when you add that, I don't know, that classic element with what Ryan Tedder brings. And then, of course, you add these two guys who are really hit makers of 2018-19. It's no surprise that, you know, you get a song like this that can shoot to number one.
2: And Frank Dukes as well, uh, behind Havana by Camila Cabello. So, uh, again, kind of you peeled away the mystery of how the song got to number one. You realize the people involved in the writing and producing, eh, it's no big deal for them. They've been at number one for the last year or so with all these different hits.
4: It was very smart on Jonas Brothers' part to enlist all those people, but I'm sure that was no coincidence.
2: I was going to say that ties into uh, the fact that this is their first release on Republic Records and – Drake is on Republic, Ariana Grande is on Republic, Post Republic, Republic, Post Malone, everyone who's uh, Soon just, to
0: be Taylor Swift. Yeah. I mean, when you can capture Taylor Swift after her first six albums, you know you're probably the biggest label in the world.
2: Yeah. They've just uh, been owning the Hot 100 the last few years. So, uh, again, it's not like they just put this out on their own and had to fight through any uh, indie uh, battles of trying to get this out there. When you have Republic behind you— That's right there, kind of uh, all the distribution you need, all the promotion. Uh, Songs released right at midnight on Friday at the beginning of the streaming sales tracking week, the power of Republic promoting that. You put that all together, certainly uh, Republic being one of the major labels you'd want to be on to have a comeback at this point.
4: Yeah, for those who don't know, uh, Republic was also DNCE's label. So I have a feeling that played into that, but it's definitely smart for them to stay in the Republic family for sure.
2: Uh, We mentioned Nick and Joe uh, via uh, DNCE help uh, paving the way, but maybe they don't have this kind of comeback since uh, the quick uh, comeback in 2013 if we didn't get jealous and chains and cake by the ocean. I think that kind of made it seem – kept them relevant with still, as you were mentioning before, Taylor, keeping that Jonas Brothers nostalgia uh, back in the day kind of a great combination of we can still have that. When they come back, it will be a big deal. But in the meantime, oh, yeah, their sound has been pretty relevant.
4: Yeah, I think it also proves that they still had the songwriting chops and were still able to make songs that resonated and were actually pretty good and did pretty well both on the charts and on radio or whatever whatever other ways. But, yeah, I mean, they both Nick and Joe had very successful solo ventures, which I think also kind of played into the speculation that they would never come back because I think that there was just so much... Happening in all of their respective person or personal and career lives. Um, I mean, even Kevin has a family of four now, so there was just so many things working against them that it did not seem like they would come back. But yeah, so uh, Nick and Joe doing their own thing, I think, almost helped them kind of establish like a new sound because I think that "Sucker" feels like a combination of a DNCE song and a Nick Jonas song. Kind of like a, I guess, like the falsetto of jealous, and then like the power packing kind of pop production of a DNCE track, like a "Kick by the Ocean." So, I do think that they kind of both played into the the, the sound that the Jonas Brothers are channeling this year.
2: How do you grade the video?
4: Oh my gosh! Uh, well, it's- I'm first of all very upset with myself for not catching on to the fact that they would probably include their wives in it, but. Uh, it's awesome. I mean, it's art. Like it's it's beautiful, regardless of who's in it. Like it is just a stunning visual with all of the costuming and the French mansion and the garden that they're in, and everything is so beautiful. And then obviously all three of their well, I guess one is a fiance still technically, but I'm just gonna say wives to make it easier. <laughs> but their their three significant others were st- stunning in it, and. I mean they were all looking really good too. So, but yeah, I thought it was all around a very fun comeback kind of video that felt like a good ode to the the really artsy, not necessarily artsy, but the very uh, theatrical videos that they'd put out back in the day that it feels current but also feels like a throwback. So, I love it.
2: Other thing that I would bring up is uh timing. If they had released the song maybe Last summer, while Drake was in the middle of his total uh, domination for months and hip-hop was uh, really just pushing pop out completely, it feels like very quickly, all of a sudden, 2019, one of the stories that's uh, already kind of becoming a story for this year is that pop is back. A big part of that, Ariana Grande, really uh, her uh, biggest uh, success so far. But maybe that's playing into it too, that suddenly pop is at a higher profile than it's been uh, certainly throughout most of 2018 anyway.
0: Well, and certainly, I mean, even the songs that have been kind of poppy, some of them have been hip hop adjacent influenced. Obviously, Seven Rings, you know, go Google that any internet controversy you want to find that it owes, you know, if it owes to Two Chains or if it owes to you know, Princess Nokia or whoever. Um, I mean, even, you know, even some of the songs like Without Me, I mean, you've got Louis Bell, you know, who obviously worked with Post Malone so much that that hip hop connection is right there. This is really like one of the ones that is just. That is just so completely pop. That um, yeah, I mean, to that point, it really is maybe the song that you look back in 2019 and say, okay, this is this is really like evidence that pop was not just it wasn't just hip hop. It was I said I said hip hop by the way, or you know hip hop adjacent or kind of whatever. I mean, this this pop is really having its own moment right now, and and you wonder especially when you look at who who is due for an album this year, who may not be due for an album this year. I know with hip-hop artists, they can release anything every six months, but you feel like Drake is probably going to take this year off. Post Malone was out last year. You feel like he's probably going to take a break. I mean, Cardi B, probably one of the only people I can think who is gearing up an album cycle with with her single and everything out. So with all those sort of hip-hop heavyweights of the past couple of years out, it does feel like that really helps open the gates even more for some pop artists. I mean, I think, you know, even Katy Perry is probably due for an album this year. Maybe Lady Gaga, even though with all the stars born, she may take the year off. But, it, it you know, it feel, I mean, Adele, you know, is probably due for an album at some point this year. There's a rumors cheer. about Taylor. Maybe Ed's been out for a couple of years. Bruno Mars has been out for about three years. So, you know, this, this, yeah, to Gary's point, this all might just stew out nicely for a pop to at least in the decade on the high note.
4: While there is kind of a pop resurgence happening at the same time going Back to Gary's point of timing, this is like the only major pop thing that's happening right now. Because Ariana's kind of had her like big come out moment and it's just kind of staying at the, you know, height that it's at. But um, I think as far as something that kind of surprised people or people that are – or something that Fresh. people are getting – Yeah, people are getting excited about. This is kind of the the big story in pop right now. So I think that it was very smart of them whether they intentionally planned it to – Happen when there's not a whole lot of other like fresh pop things happening. If that makes any sense, yeah, I think that they were they just got lucky with the fact that there's nothing else really going on the way that they or the the time frame that they had planned to release this song.
0: Lucky or smart? That's always the that's always
4: the question. Could be a combo of both.
2: Uh, One thing you mentioned before, Trevor, with Cardi B. guess we should probably give her a pretty good amount of credit for kind of bridging that uh, long run of hip hop being number one on the hot 100 because after drake and before ariana uh, girls like you urban five featuring cardi b had seven weeks at number one and a uh, total pop song but uh, maybe it wouldn't have become as big a hit as it did if cardi b didn't jump on the remix seemed like that really helped it become as big as it did so kind of see that uh that thread going from all hip hop last year to uh, pop and hip hop and since then it's been uh, it's been pretty pop sense now I'm speechless over the
1: edge I'm just breathless I never thought that I'd catch this love bug again oh,
2: so well, one of the angles too that's come up is uh, how often is a comeback hit either an act's hit biggest hit ever or, or their first number one because uh, it suddenly until till a week ago, it was burning up, as we mentioned. But now all of a sudden, you think Jonas Brothers. Maybe now you're thinking Sucker. As Actually, I want to ask you, Taylor, because we talked about this on the podcast a few weeks ago with a new uh, George Strait song, which you're a country fan. Mm-hmm. It's when George Strait came back with a new song. Uh, can a brand new song by an artist you liked for a long time, can, can that instantly become maybe your favorite song by them? Because you have so much emotion invested into their earlier stuff. And you might think uh, – uh, technically this is a really good song i can hear that it's good but can you uh put a song like number one on your list of an axe favorite uh top hits of all time that quickly or do you need that time to really let it settle in mentally
4: i need the time to let it settle in yeah. just like you were saying there's so much emotion involved in the other songs that they had whether they're the famous ones or ones that you fell in love with that were deep cuts on the record um I actually just did, not to self-promote, but I just did a top 20 Jonas Brothers songs uh, article that went up today. I tried to to get a feel for what songs sh- should be on the, the top 20 versus just saying my top 20, because I think it'd be a little different. But yeah, I mean, revisiting all those songs, which I feel like with the release of Sucker and the announcement of their comeback, I, I feel like they spawned a a million listens on all the other songs that they have had in their, or they have in their catalog. Um, But yeah, just listening to all those songs, it was like a rush of emotions coming back for all the various things, you know, When You Look Me In The Eyes or Fly With Me or um, even something like from their Jonas show, (laughs) like a Feeling Alive kind of song. Um, Yeah, there's just so many different memories attached to all of these older songs that it's hard to latch onto a song like "Sucker" and be like, "This is my favorite Jonas Brothers song." Because it just also it's like a week old, so it's just like no matter how many memories are invested in other songs, it's like it's only a week old. I feel like you gotta let it simmer before you can call it your favorite.
2: Burn it up, number one on your list.
4: Uh, well, yeah, that that was putting. A lot of uh, that kind of put some commercial uh, the weight success, into the it commercial well. weight yeah. into there too. I mean, I love burning up. There's not really a song like that in their catalog that really hits that way. But um, I don't know if that's my personal number one. Whew. Uh, I mean, I really love feeling alive that I referenced, but I don't know if that's my number one necessarily. Uh, Fly with me is uh, an amazing like ballad that turns into kind of a bigger. Uh, kind of pop production kind of thing love bug's amazing yeah i wish
2: that love bug was so different just yeah. kind of a unique sounding song yeah
4: i was head banging at my desk yesterday putting this together because it, <laughs> it goes from like a slow acoustic song to like a total rock out moment yeah. so probably i mean i guess if i were to really think what's my favorite Jonas Brothers song love bug love bug is way up there um, I don't know if I could pinpoint one. No. I was
0: gonna say we're we're arriving at no
2: definitive <laughs> conclusion. No, so. I don't
4: really have a definitive com- conclusion.
2: Maybe two. I tough could give tough. you like a
4: top five, but okay.
2: Yeah. Uh, so along those lines, of a comeback hit being uh, such a big hit, it's uh, it's actually happened before with certain acts. where are uh, similar kind of a vein where acts had a run, uh, didn't get to number one, and then took some time off, changed their sound a little bit, and got that first number one. Uh, if you go back to the eighties. Heart had been away for a few years. These dreams, ballad, hadn't heard a song uh, sound like that from Heart before, ballad like that. That got to number one in
1: 1986.
2: 1986, to yeah. right, right, oh, also for Genesis, their first number one with "Invisible Touch," and sort of a similar thing with the Jonas Brothers, Phil Collins went off and became a huge solo star, probably bigger than uh, Genesis even, at least uh, singles wise, really helped uh, Invisible Touch go to number one. 1988, Cheap Trick, sort of similar to Heart. They had uh, harder uh, rock hits uh, in the 70s. Came back with their first number one, "The Flame," in the summer of 1988. Been, you is a moment I Don't wanna and the two uh, champs of longevity, waiting for that first number one. All the way to 1998, about 25 years after Aerosmith had first been on the Hot 100, again a ballad, Diane Warren written a ballad for uh, "I Don't Want to Miss a Thing," their first number one, debuted at number one, and uh, actually it's the only uh, two songs "I Don't Want to Miss a Thing" and now "Sucker," the only two songs by lead groups ever to debut at number one on the Hot 100. So another triumph for that all-time champ for waiting for first number one about 30 years for Santana and the Smooth and that wow. one's just uh, maybe maybe that's the most surprising of all who would have ever predicted that uh, someone really known as, as a rock guitarist would work with uh, again the similar thing you you, uh, you forget me baby how big 20 years ago how big Rob Thomas was with Matchbox 20 at the moment so sometimes there's that tie in with uh, here's what uh, my sound has been before let me work with someone uh, currently making hits
1: Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Whoo!
0: That was a, uh, I would say crash course, but I think it was probably a little longer than a crash course, but a full semester seminar about the Jonas Brothers. But it's been a decade in the making, so I think we can all take the time to appreciate what the trio has done and, of course... Having that first number one, you can't say it enough, on the Billboard Hot 100. So we want to give special thanks to our friend Taylor Weatherby. i um, just going to say
4: what the trio has done and what the trio is about to do.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, oh okay. Gauntlet is thrown. Mic drop. She's 2019, artist of the year. Move over. Goodbye, Adele. Don't come back. Kendrick Lamar. Jonas Brothers are here to rule. Yep.
4: I mean, they, that's what they're saying with this number one hit.
0: So our special thanks to Taylor Weatherby for taking out some time. I know it was a big chore for you to come and talk about the Jonas Brothers. I
4: hate talking about the Jonas Brothers. <laughs>
0: uh, if, yeah, you probably got that vibe if you've been listening. So we really appreciate you holding on like a champ through all of this. And, uh, yeah, maybe maybe we'll have you back on at some point, maybe at the end of the year recap to uh, to see how this prediction panned out.
4: With their next number one. See you in May. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. It was—it's always a, a pleasure to be able to not only join this podcast but also express my Jonas fandom.
2: All right, so you heard in the top ten, "Sucker" replaces "Shallow," which uh, falls all the way down to number six, but uh, still building at radio. So deep into its run, we had September twenty-two on the radio songs chart. So uh, it's actually back on the pop songs chart. It had been off uh, Top 40 Radio for a few weeks, but now with all the buzz after the Oscars, kind of getting a second life. So even though it uh, falls from number one and may not go back to number one, uh, Airplay is uh, really uh, strong again and and at a new peak. So uh, still going strong for Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. So uh, Trevor, one of the things we were talking about this week was uh, Between Shallow and now Sucker. These are two songs that – I don't know, three weeks ago or so, we could never have predicted that these would be the two number one songs on the Hot 100 in these back-to-back weeks. I was trying to look back at, when was the last time we had two kind of surprising number ones on the Hot 100? Maybe you could say a, a year ago when Perfect and Havana were number one, just because Perfect is this uh, very classic-sounding uh, acoustic ballad, and then Havana uh, became so ubiquitous. But at the beginning, yeah, yeah, the, yeah I know, it's not the the, the most surprising.
0: Yeah, I'm just, I mean, just because I think, I think all all parts perfect are true, but I think the key element is, it's Ed, it was an Ed Sheeran song. Yeah, I right. think that you know, I mean, thinking out loud had been a massive ballad, not quite as you know maybe slow and classical, but I think that was shape of you. I don't think to me that wasn't much of a surprise. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna veto that one, Gary. I'm sorry. All right. Uh...
2: Work and Panda back in 2016. If you look at uh, Work, remember when it came out, people didn't know what to do with that song, and obviously everyone wound up uh, loving it so much; it was number one for so long. And and Panda by Designer just came out of absolutely nowhere.
0: I think people really like that. I mean, and, yeah. and it's not like we'd never heard that from Rihanna before. I mean, Rude Boy very much in that sort of um, you know it's got it's got got sort of that island touch to it. Man Down from the Loud album, so it wasn't
2: you know it wasn't. Kind of a surprising first single, though, given that she'd come out with uh, Diamonds and We Found Love. There was always this very, let's hit him over the head with the most obvious pop hit. This was very different. Yeah. I mean, yeah, kind of. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess I just with the fact that, I don't know, again,
0: Rihanna and Drake just seemed like a kind of no-brainer combination. I will say that, I mean, in the year before, if we kind of flash back to what was happening when work came out, we had been really, as I call it, pump faked by – the singles that Rihanna put out in 2015, we, there was uh, four or five seconds, which was a very different, you know, uh, some We just heard it.
2: something about that song. Yeah. yeah it sounds yeah. like something.
0: It comes back, right? Yeah. Uh, Bitch Better Have My Money was also out there. So maybe in that vein that it was like it was a left turn from Rihanna in that sense. But I don't know. I, just, I feel like just with Rihanna and Drake, it wasn't. It's one of those songs that you kind of mentioned last week about, you know, a lead single that just kind of on name recognition almost can be a number one and. Obviously, I think people really enjoyed that song. It was number one for nine weeks, so it wasn't like it was just some sort of you know, always oh, Rihanna will be number one. But I, I, yeah, I don't. To me, that didn't that won the craziest thing. All right,
2: uh, what if we go back?
0: Uh, wow, Pan, Panda, I will give you. Yeah. I, when that came out, I you know right. But at the same, and I guess you know, in hindsight, helps so much. But it's like, man, with this viral culture, or anything kind of you know just kind of you know dumb or fun can catch on like in that kind of way. I don't think anybody knows any lyrics to Panda except Panda, but just the way it was done, you know, sh- there's kind of people who make timeless songs for the songbooks, And there are kind of people who make just like, you know, they, 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 send something in the water and they say, you know, we can make like, there's something here that, that's kind of working. Yeah, It's definitely in that latter category, but it's still, I mean, even just now, like when you hear it in your head, it's kind of fun. It's just like,
2: you know what it is. If we go back uh, six years, uh, thrift shop, McLemore and Ryan Lewis and Harlem Shake. I think Harlem Shake certainly fits the surprising number one. Uh, maybe Thrift Shop doesn't as much now that we know that McLemore wound up having a good string of hits. But at the time, that was kind of an out-of-left-field kind of hit.
0: Mm, yeah. I, yeah. When I was going down Gary's little kind of call-outs, this, this, this one, wanted, yeah, I can agree with this, with this pair because it just felt very – yeah, I mean, the lyrics are kind of silly, talking about just thrift shopping and – you know grandma's clothes and R. Kelly's sheets and the way it sort of just I, I I don't know just like hangs off in that structure the horns of it like it's 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 almost like almost like a song you kind of it's like if you put an outfit together with things you buy at a thrift shop it's almost a kind of song that you just like put together these like randomish elements you know that 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 all just come together and work I mean it was just the fun of it it was just like the I was in college at the time so especially I think it really spoke to that kind of generation about you know we were all you know, broke and we just wanted to have fun and just have a good time. And yeah, Macklemore really, I mean, that and later Can't Hold Us really just kind of captured that spirit that some post-recession millennial kids just yeah. trying to make it, you
2: know? But when it's a novelty song, it can, can either really connect or it can totally miss. It sort of tends to be uh, one or the other as opposed to, yeah, maybe this will be kind of a hit, this, this totally connected.
0: Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, if you look around what was happening, it was a lot of kind of up-tempo beat kind of stuff. It was, you know, We Found Love. This was the time that really Calvin Harris and Ghetto were really, you know, dominating so much of the airwaves. Yeah. We you know, we just sort of wrapped up Teenage Dream at the time. Taylor Swift was still really big with songs like I Knew You Were Trouble, which were, you know, completely sort of in that post-dubstep phase. So yeah, for this sort of, you know, I don't know, almost dare I say like an uptown funk kind of predecessor in terms of like, you know, just horns and just Attitude and just kind of don't give a fuck. It was yeah, yeah. And then Harlem Shake, of course. I mean,
2: exactly. You know, in (laughs) terms, that's exactly what you say about (laughs) Harlem Shake.
0: In terms of, I mean, it had no commercial appeal. I guess I don't think anybody thought this was going to be a commercial hit. But again, just like with Panda, even before the internet, you know, finds what it finds and memes and challenges and all those things can power a song up to. You know, enormous heights, faster than any other promotional element out there. All
2: right. I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. I came up with two in a row that seemed to impress you. So we're going to stop there. <laughs> uh, also, in the top 10 that we heard back at number three, uh, new peak for Cardi B and Bruno Mars with Please Me. So video came out uh, same day as uh, the video for Sucker by Jonas Brothers. Uh, wasn't totally eclipsed. Still uh, did uh, really well. So it debuted at number five a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Dropped to number 14 last week after that first uh, big week of uh, the first big splash and then the video came out for uh, the third tracking week and uh, yeah, new peak and matches the peak of finesse two for two now hitting number three for Bruno and Cardi and uh, since we're mentioning number three and number one uh, in between on the 100 this week and number two. Ariana Grande with seven rings, so had its first five weeks at number one. Uh, it's been now at number two the last two weeks, watching uh, Shallow and now Sucker go to number one. But uh, not to be uh, outdone completely, sets a pop songs record this week on the pop songs airplay chart. Uh, Ariana Grande has now had four number one hits on the pop songs radio airplay chart. No Tears Left to Cry, God is a Woman, Thank You Next, and now seven rings, uh, all since July. That's a record. Uh, span of doing it that quickly, she beats Lady Gaga's run in 2009-2010 by one week. So, uh, fastest four number ones ever. Uh, we've been saying how Ariana's just going to release uh, all this new music at once and uh, hasn't been a problem at all for it. Radio's been uh, totally uh, lapping it all up. And in that streak, maybe maybe this is the most impressive, even though uh, Breathing got to number two, missed number one, that was in that run of four number ones. So, not only is a record of four number ones in that span, she had another song that went all the way to number two. So it's almost five number ones. But just another sign that uh, even though Ariana's not number one this week, she's still totally on the top of her game, uh, breaking records on the pop songs chart. Here, here's something. I'm actually uh, kind of mad at Miley Cyrus this week, Trevor, because I thought of this a little while ago. I didn't bring it up. But Miley did the the, the, uh, the connection between Seven Rings by Ariana and Seven Things by Miley the seven niggla hate about you. The seven hate about you. your My tweet tweeted uh, on Monday uh, Your generation equals seven rings. My generation equals seven things. Simpler times. Similar titles by uh, two of the biggest uh, pop acts the last, uh, I guess, two generations. Miley's calling them different generations. They're the same generation.
0: Uh, yeah, by strict by the strictest of definitions, you would be right. And they're actually really good friends. They've you know there's a lot of videos of them performing. Um, I mean, don't dream it's over and in, in like Ariana's backyard a few years ago. Miley put out a lot of tweets for International Women's Day. One of them was a shout out to Ariana Grande, and she had a, uh, a video of herself overdubbed with Seven Rings while she was dancing with it from a few years ago. And Ariana wrote back to that. So yeah, the Cyrus Grande connection is very, very strong.
2: All right. Uh, Let's uh, talk more boy band history with, uh, again, one of the bands who, as you said, Trevor, kind of kicked off the modern era of of boy bands because we had the Beatles back in the 60s, the Monkees, uh, Jackson 5, Osmonds in the 70s. And yeah, Trent kind of went away a little bit until New Kids on the Block Mania just exploded in 1988. Shout out to uh, New Edition as well. Yeah, New Edition uh, as well. And same, uh, Maurice Starr was the person uh, behind both bands. So uh, New Kids on the Block back and maybe better than ever. They're going to have a huge tour coming up this year, the mixtape tour. They just had a song out, uh, 80s Baby, that that really played into the fun of of that era. Uh, New song they have out too called Boys in the Band, which uh, if you haven't seen this video, it's really funny. It's the New Kids on the Block uh, dressing up at one point as really old guys with with canes. And uh, they're telling the whole story of uh, boy bands goes from uh, even before New Kids – mentioning bts in it Uh, there's one funny line at the middle where they just break down and say "Uh, stop i need to take a breath because they're older Uh, but uh, really a cute video a great new song and uh, danny wood of new kids he has a new song on his own out as well with singer-songwriter jesse chris called bodyguard so we're going to talk about all this this new song uh, new kids being on tour again and really curious to get danny's take on uh, Jonas Brothers and other boy bands over the years He's uh, he's uh, been in the trenches of uh, when uh, maybe things were uh, a little difficult after that initial uh, burst of popularity yeah, there can be a backlash new kids face that a little bit uh, but then uh, the happier ending is uh, the, the nostalgia and the reunions so uh, we're going to get into all that with Danny Wood and Jesse Chris his new duet partner on the song Bodyguard coming up on the Billboard Sharpie Podcast
1: Somewhere between the sun and the clouds My life is clear without any doubt I feel safe, I'm not alone I survived the stones you've thrown
2: Jesse, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the Billboard Sharpie Podcast. Thanks for
5: having
2: thank us. Thank you for having us. So uh, really inspiring background. We'll ask you about uh, the song Bodyguard first, uh, this great new song, collaboration. Uh, Jesse. correct me if I'm wrong, but you had visited, what was it, about 100 schools to talk about bullying, and that led to Danny uh, being inspired by that story. Can you take us through the timeline of uh, how that all happened and how it led to uh, Bodyguard becoming a duet between you two?
3: Well, I visited 100 schools in one year. I I had been visiting schools for about four years, and I decided to set a goal of 100 in a year, and I just finished that goal, I think, about a month or two ago, and I'm still visiting schools in my free time, but not keeping count like before, but uh, I got a phone call one day saying that Danny Wood from New Kids on the Block had watched my videos of me speaking in schools to kids and had listened to my music and that it inspired him to write a song and that he wanted to record a duet with me and it was really like a like a shocking phone call <laughs> and just really unexpected because especially because when I visit schools to talk to kids and sing to them it's not something I've ever done for recognition or anything I don't ever really post about it I it's just something I like to do in my free time, and so it was just really cool that he even took the time to watch a video of me talking to these kids, let alone writing a whole duet. So it's a really cool, really cool phone call to get.
2: Right? How did that come about, uh, Jesse? That you uh, you were inspired to do that? That's that's a great story all on its own. That you'd uh, go to schools and and do that.
3: Well, growing up in Massachusetts, I was bullied growing up, and I struggled a lot with that and with self confidence because of it, and so that's why. I think it's really important to talk to kids and kind of be like an older sister to them.
2: What really hit me when listening to was uh, the vocals, you guys uh, really harmonized. Like, like you've been doing this before. Do you guys feel that connection when, uh, when you guys uh, sang together? Really? Uh, you're uh, both vocals are great on their own. And then you come together It's it's a really nice mix.
5: Well, thank you. I mean, it was pretty easy working with Jesse. We um, got in the studio and knocked the song out one day. So it was um, pretty easy. She has a great voice. She's very focused and talented.
2: So one of the other uh, angles about the song is, uh, I saw this online, Jesse. You uh, surprised your cousin, Christy, who has had a lot of health issues over the years by bringing her to uh, Boston for the recording of the song to meet uh, a member of her favorite band. She, she had no idea this was going to happen and uh, it turned out to be just a, a surprise of her life, right?
3: Oh, yes. She tells me every time I see her that that was the best day of her entire life because I've known about New Kids on the Block because of her. She's such a big fan, and she has been struggling her whole life with cystic fibrosis. Her lung function is only 30% of what normal functioning lungs do. So she struggles her whole life, and to be able to bring her to the studio when we recorded, it was just I can't believe that life worked out that way. And it was just so special to be able to share that with her too. So I'm really glad I got to make those memories. All
0: right. So it's kind of funny um, this week, boy bands have been a big topic here at billboard. Um, not sure if you guys know, but I'm sure you guys are super hot 100 fans. So you've seen the Jonas brothers are, are back in action uh, and number one this week on the hot 100 with their new single sucker. So obviously, Danny, you have a unique perspective as someone who's been in a boy band before. And, you you know, you've ridden that wave where you're on top of the world and it's, you know, hit after hit. And then, you know, you kind of hit that, that turn and maybe it's not the same kind of results or, or the number ones come quite as quickly. And then, you know, obviously in recent years, we've seen with um, the tours with Backstreet Boys and a lot of these big acts when you guys are back on and there's a huge fan base out there. Does this kind of surprise you or in a way that the Jonas Brothers, for example, could come back in this way? Or do you know that, you know, even though they're not going to be on top forever, there's always that core group of fans who are just rooting and ready for that big thing and that big comeback to happen?
5: We got back together in 2008 after being apart for 15 years. So I consider the past 11 years the best years of my life and the best years in the business even better than the first time around so to me we're on top I don't really care what anyone else's perception is I mean for us to be doing it this long and just to celebrate 30 years of you know 30 years old hanging tough um you know that was a big deal for us so it doesn't surprise me the Jonas Brothers have you know some of the guys have stayed relevant doing their solo stuff so it was a good time for them to actually do it. And, um, for us, we needed a little more time because I think the first time around it was so big and in everyone's face and there was so much merchandise and all this stuff. We needed to take a break and grow up and, you know, live our lives and have families and then get back together. And you know, we're still doing it.
2: Yeah. You say, uh, the last 11 years have been even better than uh, the original, uh, Time when everything was just so crazy—is it uh, kind of as you just alluded to, uh, Danny? But sort of having that perspective—it sounds like ultimately it's being able to sort of uh, take a breath and and just appreciate uh, appreciate it a lot more.
5: Yeah, I mean, as you get older, things slow down a little bit. You learn to appreciate things more, and ultimately, for me, in 2008, that was my goal. However long we were back together, and however long we were going to do it, even if it was just that first tour i was just going to enjoy it and you know never forget it and now like you come into my house that i have one room that's just full of all the stuff we've done in the past 11 years i don't even really have any of the old stuff up cuz i'm really proud that we've got to have a you know a second chance and to do it the way we wanted to do it and you know without any outside influence
0: and so uh one of the things i think that a lot of people Maybe may we're surprised. Maybe we're surprised by when you guys came back is um, the decision to unite with the Backstreet Boys and have the uh, the NKOTBSB tour. What a nice acronym there! Yeah. Um, but I think there's just this real perception in the industry and from media that you know all all the similar types of acts kind of have to be rivalries and hate each other. You know, it's like all the boy bands have to have beef with the other boy bands all the queens of pop have to have you know beef with the other queens is there is there anything like that between you know you guys or or any of these other groups out there any sense that you have to be rivals or anything that's talked up or any sense of that kind of competition between you guys not at all man they
5: came after us so like what what rivalry are people talking about? Like, I don't, that never even existed with us. They put out music and we were already broken up. So I just looked at it like, you know, boy bands, that kind of thing always goes in cycles. So they were just the next one. Them and In Sync were the next one. So, um, doing a tour together. I mean, we just took a cue from like some of the bigger rock bands, like, you know, Def Leppard and Journey do tours together. And we kind of took a cue from that and said, why, We can do it in our
2: genre of music. I want to ask you, Jesse, I'm going to totally put you on the spot. Who's your favorite boy band? Is it new kids? It's a safe answer, but be honest.
3: I am going to say new kids on the block. And it's not just because of Danny. It's because I've been listening to them for a while with Christy and just working, you know, before meeting Danny, I knew, you know, I'm about to meet this celebrity. What's he going to be like? And I've met a lot of artists before and, you know, sometimes when they're not as nice or humble as you hope they would be, it's hard to stay a fan when you know who they really are. Um, So I was nervous meeting Danny. And when I met Danny, it just made me an even bigger fan of his solo music and the new kids music. And so I would say that new kids on the block is definitely my favorite boy band.
5: Good answer.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, talk about boy band history. Uh, so New Kids, two newest singles. They're, they're really fun and they play up. Uh, boy band history, 80s baby, uh, kind of uh, plays it more just uh, the, the 80s era when when New Kids started. But uh, the new uh, song and video, uh, Boys in the Band, I, uh, my favorite thing in the new video, uh, Danny, is how you guys, uh, that moment where you, you say, stop, we need to take a breath. You're dressed up as as these old guys. It's just a really, uh, clearly you're having fun with the whole uh, boy band uh, elements mentioning everyone from uh, from who came before you all the way to uh, BTS. So uh, as Trevor was just saying, uh, really sounds like yeah, you're just kind of celebrating all this great music that boy bands over the years have uh, have given us. Is uh, what do you think is is the the ultimate appeal to, to boy band music?
5: I, I think it's 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 the music. It's the you know it's the the, the young female audiences and yeah, the feelings they have for their favorite members of the group or the band the to- the whole band but you know we we kind of proved that like it it and and the backstreet boys are doing the same thing too like it, it it we didn't know if this would last you know after being broken up for 15 years and coming back that was my only worry like i had no clue who was going to buy tickets who was going to you know show up at the shows like you know our reunion could have been A theater tour like we we had no idea and we just that that spark we lit you know back in 1988 you know to 93 94 it it stuck with these girls and they showed up and they still show up i mean we just did some promotion in new york and everywhere we went there was tons of fans showing up for us you know they were everywhere so it's 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 a blessing and Hopefully, some like it's. It's good to see the Jonas Brothers back together, and they're doing their thing. And I think you know more and more you'll see groups having longer careers than just you know fizzling out and you know fading into the distance.
2: I think uh, social media helps too because in '94, uh, in when you guys uh, took the first break, there was—if you weren't having new music out, and you weren't touring. You—it's kind of like you did disappear. No one, no one knew where you know where to find you. But in a social media era, everyone can find out that oh yeah, I'm a fan of this act, and they can interact with you. It—it it, it probably helps. That's probably something that that would have helped, I guess, if it existed back in the '90s.
5: Yeah, it helped us a lot, and especially like my- there wasn't any of that before. And then we, we built, uh, you know, this time around off of, you know, through our website, social media. And it's, it's an awesome tool to just connect with the fans instantly. You post something, you announce something, it's in, instantaneous and it's great for us. And for me, that's kind of what I use it for. I don't really get into, you know, anything else. I want the fans to know what we're doing.
2: Yeah, social media is how, uh, YouTube, uh, how you guys got together, uh, you and you and Jesse. So uh, even helped, helped uh, get this new song recorded as a duet.
5: Yeah, imagine back in the day, like, how would I have seen her speaking at these schools? Like, it would have been, you know, if Jeff, her manager, would have had to film her, you know, something. So yeah. it's just great. Like, yeah, that was, and it made the process quicker. Like, I got inspired, wrote the song, and, you know, we were recording it, you know, like, a few weeks later.
0: And uh, I guess this is a pretty billboard-centric question, but uh, Danny, when you're taking us back to, to that major heyday when you guys are having number one albums and number one singles just left and right, in the middle of all that frenzy, were you guys aware of where you were on the charts? Were, were the charts an important thing to you? And when did you find out, or how did you find out, rather, when you guys got to number one for the first time? was that Did that stick out in your mind after all this craziness?
5: um yeah like i used to be really into like picking up a billboard and reading it and going through the charts and um seeing where we were at it was re- really important and sometimes we were finding out picking up you know billboard magazine but as like our first single please don't go girl climb the charts we started getting calls out on the road from the record company so i'm um, tour manager at the time had the big suitcase cell phone like it had a strap and it was like a big brick on his hip um that's where we would get the call so he would they would let him know where we were that week and it was usually a call from the record company because i think they could find out the night before you know the magazine came out or like the charts were announced so um that's how we found out
2: do you remember when uh, I'll Be Loving You Forever became your first number one? Because it was a pretty steady climb. Please Don't Go Girl got to number 10, then you got up the right stuff, number three. So uh, you could see on the charts, uh, really the, the arc of how big it was all built in. Do you remember that first number one and then and then the first number one album with Hanging Tough?
5: Yeah, it was it was a long road for, for Hanging Tough to go number one. and And it was a very grassroots kind of thing we did. We opened for Tiffany, we finished that tour with her, and then we went on to just, do clubs and radio station gigs, and then as Please Don't Go, Girl broke, and then the right stuff came out. We kind of went back on the road the next summer with Tiffany. So when I'll Be Loving You Forever went number one, I never forget calling up my mom to tell her because that was her favorite song. And when we recorded it, she heard it, you know, in a demo form, and she, she was like, "It's a hit. This is your best song you guys have." And you know she was so happy. I was happy. We were all like out on the road celebrating, and you know it was, it was a big thrill.
2: It sounds like all these years later that uh, that influence is still uh, so so deep in your heart, uh, Danny. It's really nice to, uh, to to see that.
5: Yeah, she's 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 with me all the time. I mean, my my mom was an amazing woman. And, um, you know, I have an amazing family. My my sisters, I have four sisters and a brother, and my dad still travels with me out on the road. Every tour we go on, he comes for the whole tour. He rides the bus with me and, um, you know, she, she's always present and, um, I do stuff, you know, on this tour, I will be raffling off tickets for the shows, um, through the foundation to raise money for breast cancer patients. So she's always with me and it feels good that her name and, her, you know, and her legacy is still, you know, being carried on.
2: And, uh, Jesse, with you, uh, too, having a Christy, your cousin, uh, surprising her for the recording session. It's really nice to hear how are you both, both of you, sort of, uh, you know, family first. When it comes to all this, it could be it could be caught up in, in so much of the industry stuff, but uh, it really comes down to uh, just the people you're, you've always been closest to.
3: Absolutely. And, you know, for me being brand new, there's it's such a roller coaster emotionally and just everything. And so I feel like... It, if I didn't have my family, I'd be so lost. And so I'm just, I'm just so glad I have a big family that I'm so close with. And that's why they will always come first and be so important to me.
2: And uh 30th anniversary edition of hanging tough. The album just released Friday with uh, songs we just mentioned, eighties baby and boys in the band on there. And, uh, Really uh, gearing up for for the big tour, uh, Danny. The new kids mixtape tour with Debbie Gibson, Tiffany, Salt and Pepper, Naughty by Nature. Uh, it's gonna be a huge uh, tour coming up, and uh, sounds like as you said before that uh, you're appreciating this. You're probably enjoying it more than you did uh, originally.
5: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's first of all because we're, we're you know we're older, we know <laughs> you know how to enjoy it more, but. You know, for us, it's a family affair. Like, everyone has their kids out. I have my dad. My daughter's coming in. Their son comes out. Um, It's, you know, there's dogs. There's there's everything. But it's just a family atmosphere. And um, it makes it so much more enjoyable because it's not like this crazy backstage where people are partying and drinking and all this stuff. Like, it's very much just family. And there's so much love and respect for each other. Um, It makes it easy to enjoy it.
2: Well, really nice to hear uh, the story of how you guys uh, got together and just, uh, again, how uh, family-centric you guys are. It sounds like that really just uh, permeates uh, everything that you guys do. So uh, uh, thank you so much for taking time to be here on the podcast. Congratulations on on the new duet. Happy touring uh, this summer. Danny, uh, thank you so much again, both of you, for coming on this week. Oh,
3: thanks for having us.
2: Thank
5: you. Appreciate it.
2: And go Boston. Well, Trevor's from Houston, but we we can all celebrate the Boston area. (laughs)
1: Crazy.
3: In stadiums in every nation A never in
1: celebration, baby That's how we show our dedication The boys in the band The boys in the band We do it for the fans The boys in the band All right, and wrap things
0: up this week um, We usually look back at a Billboard Hot 100 hit from this week in history, and um, while I was looking this up, something kind of just came to me. It's a nice combination of, of boy bands. We talked a lot of Beatles this week. We have the song by Cardi Bruno, Please Me. Let's look back at this week in 1964 with a, really what is the first Beatles single released in the U.S., though not the first Beatles hit, a song called Please, Please Me. How's that for a a nice combination? We had please, please me. Now we have please me. We'll just have me, I guess, fifty years from now. Not not a fan. Not a fan of the joke, Gary.
2: I'm impressed how you uh, wrapped everything. It's like the greatest hits of this podcast all into one one song.
0: That, yeah, it's like it's like now 154. But yeah, please, please me. The first song actually released by the Beatles in the United States though uh, was not a hit at the time, and actually was played on radio for the first time on February 7, 63, which was one year before the Beatles' famous landing in America for the first time, and really when the British Invasion started in 1964, with I Wanna Hold Your Hand and and subsequent singles. Luckily, it's kind of a common thing back then, the song wasn't hit when it was first released, but after that big Beatlemania invasion, the song was re-released the next year, and that is when it kicked into high gear, got all the way to number three on the Hot 100 this week, back in 1964 and as you know as well recorded in all of pop music history 1964 by all accounts was the Beatles ultimate year in particular one fact that uh, we tout here a lot of billboard very impressive that the Beatles had the entire top 5 of the Hot 100 April 4th 1964 and indeed Please, Please Me was one of those top five tracks. So, uh, in honor of the Beatles' first single in the United States, which was uh, actually supposed to be sort of a slower Roy Orbison song, fast forward all the way to this week when we've got another Please Me in the top five and actually at number three, just like that Beatles record. Wrapping things up on Boy Band Week, we'll throw it back to the Fab Four. Here is Please, Please Me. Come on.